This episode of The Zealous Podcast is sponsored by Perform Better. Perform Better is the leader in functional training by supplying innovative products and top-notch education to trainers, coaches, and therapists. Check out the brand new Perform Better app designed for professionals who want to stay on top of their game. This free app features education from the world's best. You'll learn from industry leaders including Mike Boyle, Gray Cook, Sue Falzoni, Charlie Weincroft, and many more. Topics range from strength and conditioning, program design, nutrition, business, and marketing. Just go to performbetter.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Zealous Podcast. I'm Rocky Snyder, and this week, well, you know, baseball's happening. It's spring time, and that means heading back to the ballpark. So why not get things cranking up with the Seattle Mariners strength coach, Derek Cantini. Now, Derek, first of all, did I pronounce that last name correct? Yeah, Cantini. Yep, that's it. Woo! All right. All right. Well, Coach, uh, welcome to the show. It's good to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, you've been with the Mariners how long now? This will be my fourth season. And before that, where were you? Um, so before that, I actually was in the private sector. Um, I was working at a high school in San Diego. Um, you know, I can kind of give you the, the rundown of my path of how I got to, to be here today. It's probably the best way it. to go. Um, so, you know, going all the way back to, you know, high school, I got a job as a personal trainer, 24 hour fitness. And then um, when I started playing uh, junior college football, I started working with a strength coach who actually trained out of our, our gym and that exposed me to strength conditioning. And, you know, while I was playing football, I got interested in athletic training because I had a couple injuries. And I saw that our athletic trainers, you know, were playing catch on the sidelines during practice, but they were also doing, you know, practicing their job. Like they run through scenarios of injuries. And so, you know, working with them, just doing rehab is kind of like, oh, you know, I can, I can see myself doing this. And so when I finished up my athletic career as a football player, I went to San Diego State University and I got involved in their athletic training program. Um, did my, my internship at SDSU and at the University of San Diego. Um, you know, working with different sports. Um, and then when I finished up as a college student, I kind of went back to, you know, I really enjoyed athletic training, but what I enjoyed more was kind of the preparing to play, to play sports in the strength conditioning aspect. And part of the reason I did that was when I was at 24 hour fitness, you know, I trained athletes also. And I just realized that it was so much fun to work with them. They're so motivated to get better. Um, so I approached, the strength coach at the University of San Diego, his name is Shannon Turley. And I just asked him, like, hey, you know, I'm Derek Antini. I'm recently graduated. I'm an athletic trainer, but I really want to, you know, kind of dip my toe into strength conditioning. So he said, well, why don't you come in, you know, we'll do a little interview. So I, you know, I go in to do this interview for an unpaid internship position. And the first thing he says to me is, if you can do anything else in life and be happy, do that instead. And it's like, wow, you know, this is my, my intro to be a strength coach. You know, I'm not even getting paid to do it, but just tell me like I could, I should do something else. <laughs> um, and, you know, so by end up, you know, getting that, that role, um, you know, they had just hired a part-time guy. They had a, a full-time assistant. So within about a week, the part-time assistant leaves. So then it's like, well, Hey, do you want to take the part-time job? Oh, great. Yeah. Um, and then maybe about two weeks later, the full-time assistant takes another job um, at a you know, bigger school. And so it's like, here I am a month in, it's like, do you want to be a full-time assistant, you know, to me as a strength coach? I'm like, absolutely. So I went from being an unpaid intern to a full-time assistant within a month. And that's, that's not typical. No. Um, 
And so I was at USD for about four and a half years. Um, I was able to get my, my master's in leadership studies while I was there. And part of that program, you get to choose kind of an internship. And so my wife, who's a physical therapist at the time, was a physical therapy aide at a clinic called Rehab United in San Diego. So I decided to do my internship at the uh, Rehab United. And that's where I got introduced to AFS and the Gary Gray method. And gotcha. so that was, you know, kind of something that I've, I still carry today and really use in a lot of my programming for my athletes. Um, so he goes down to San Diego uh, on a regular basis. I think it's like every September and does the chain reaction workshop. Right. Have you done that? I've been it twice. Yeah. Nice. Twice. And my, so my wife actually has gone through the gift program. So she's oh. a gift fellow. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. So we, we talk a lot about different stuff. We don't always agree, but you know, a lot of good information there. So uh, um, yeah. But Gary Gray is really, really smart. Um, you know, I can talk about more about that too, about just how I use that in my programming. Um, but so after our USD, I, I went into baseball. So I got my first baseball job with the Padres. Um, I worked at their high A level. And then I was two years with them for double A. Then I went in 2014. I was their triple A strength coach for the Oakland, Oakland Athletics, which is cool because I grew up in the Bay Area. So it's kind of like, you know, hometown team. Um, and after that season, I kind of decided, I looked at the advice I got, if you can do anything else, I'd be happy to do it instead. So, you know, with my wife that we wanted to start a family, it's like, well, being a minor league strength coach, you know, it's hard because you're traveling, you're gone for, you know, a month of spring training, six months of the season. And you have no idea where you're going to be at. Cause I was in, you know, three different cities in four years in different States. Wow. Um, so I went to the private sector, started um, training out of a, a gym called Function Factory in San Diego. You know, I was um, actually doing Uber driving to kind of supplement my income during that time. And then I started working at after school program at Kearney High School in San Diego um, as a strength coach. And then San Diego Unified School District actually started bringing on athletic trainers to work at their high schools. So I ended up being Kearney's first ever athletic trainer um, while doing also strength conditioning. So I do strength conditioning like in the morning and then I would do athletic training after school for like game coverage and practice coverage. So you graduated with a degree in athletic training? Correct. Aha. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. so I got certified in 2006 also. 2006, okay. So that was before the master's degree requirement or did you have to get a master's also? Um, so for high school, I did not need a master's. Okay. Um, but I think, yeah, if you wanted to collegiate, you know, you have to go through the whole, the GA route, which, you know, at the time when I graduated, I, I wasn't ready to go back to school. And that's one reason why I didn't do it. I hear you. Um, you know, because it was just hard, but yeah, so I, I have my bachelor's in athletic training, but so the master's is in leadership studies. So, um, yeah, the high school requirement was just having my bachelor's, nice. but, uh, it was actually fun, you know, kind of taking all my college stuff that I learned and reapplying. Cause I mean, I didn't have any technology, you know, to the rehab because I had my hands and I had my mind and, you know, kind of using some of those AFS, you know, three-dimensional um, philosophies and just finding ways to integrate that and, you know, getting kids healthy from, you know, different injuries. So it was, it was really fun. Um, well, let's, let's talk about that for a second. And I definitely, you know, the next step, of course, is getting with the Mariners, but, you know, this, this, the role of strength coach is changing. We kind of talked before the show about that and how it's blending in with so many other modalities, but the, the knowledge that you gained through the Gray Institute, being certified applied functional science or AFS, uh, it really helps you kind of narrow that gap between, uh, say, 
physical therapy or athletic training and performance coach or strength coach. Like, mm-hmm. is, is that what you found too? Yeah, I mean, I guess when I, when I first got exposed to AFS, you know, and I was working at the University of San Diego and I had, you know, different sports teams and, you know, it's kind of being introduced to said the frontal and transverse planes, you know, where, uh-huh. I mean, every single sport does not stay in the sagittal plane. Right. Um, you know, even like I looked at my rowing team, you know, even in the boat, they're going, you know, kind of forward and back. You look at an ergometer, it's forward and back. But in the boat, the oars on one side of the boat. So they actually have to rotate their shoulders, you know, to get the oar in the water to pull. So it's transverse plane. So it's like, why are we staying, you know, in the, in the sagittal plane all the time? You know, obviously big lifts like squats, deadlifts, you know, clean snatches, things like that. Or you're going to stay in that plane of movement. Right. But when you're doing accessory movements, like why not get out of it? You know, and especially like using bottom up, top down drivers, you know, to look at how the kinematic chain moves. It's like, you know, if I do a lateral lunge and I use my opposite hand, so I'm, so I'm lunging right and my left hand comes across to reach down towards the ground with a dumbbell, you know, I'm getting that, that ground strike, but I'm getting that top down rotation of my body orienting to that right side. So, I mean, all that stuff's going to make different tissues lengthen and load. And then when I come back out of it, they're going to, you know, explode essentially. So it just really kind of expanded you know, my repertoire, especially like what I can do. Um, you know, so that's, it was a, just a big thing for me that just really started kind of just particularly into my programming, you know, like let's get our big lifts in, of course, but then when we start doing accessory stuff, like let's start really said getting into different planes of movement and using different drivers. Um, and I've really even expanded the, you know, to the, like using your eyes as drivers and different stuff like vestibular rehab type movements, like with, you know, some of our athletes we have now um, with, with the Mariners. So I kind of, oversee the rehab in the weight room for our injured players so like when they're coming out of the training room into the weight room i integrate some of my athletic training background to what is the best exercise they can do in the weight room to complement what they do in the training room so using different things like single leg balances with you know reaching their feet in different directions or reaching their hands in different directions or if you know if they're compensating on some kind of a say a plyometric room especially how can i use their eyes to drive them out of that compensation pattern. So if they're not loading into their, say their right leg on a, a box jump or a you know, step down, if I use their vestibular system and their eyes to drive them, then they actually start getting into that leg because subconsciously they can't help it. You know, whereas like they, if you just let them kind of go in sagittal, then they just want to, you know, load on one side only. But if I say, hey, follow my finger and watch this and like they go, their body's going to go that direction. It's so, so refreshing to hear you talk about bringing in the nervous system into conditioning or strength training because not too many coaches are really talking about that but yeah driving the eyes in one direction instantly set you up with a certain path or movement so why Mm. not harness that or feed into it and and get the athlete going in a direction that you want them to so uh, i'm curious well first let's let's finish that story about how you got to the mariners so um, i'm going to ask you some more questions about what we were just talking about yeah, for sure. So I was, so I actually, I started looking at different career paths. Um, you know, I was, I was interviewing at different fire departments. I got my EMT. Um, so I was like interviewing different fire departments. I was doing substitute teaching, looking at getting in a teaching credential. And then a friend of mine who I met working in AA with the, um, the Padres, who was in, in Texas, he just sent me a text message out of nowhere. And was like, hey, if you're interested in getting back into baseball, the Mariners are want to hire a CSCS ATC. And I remember it's like, it was a Wednesday night. And I look at my wife, I was like, hey, do you want to move to Seattle? She's like, why? And I said, well, 
the Mariners are hiring an assistant strength coach like for the minor league. Like, no, it's like a major league job. And she was like, kind of like, you know, didn't know what to think of it. But I just kind of said, well, listen, like I have these two career paths I'm looking at going down. Like, let's add a third one and see where it goes. So I contacted a couple of people I knew in baseball still. And, um, you know, then I applied. And I got a phone call back on the weekend. Um, did like a quick phone interview. And then they flew me to, to Arizona. So I came in and did an interview with um, different members of the staff at that time. And then, you know, about four or five days later, they called me and offered me a job. And so this is on a Sunday. And they said, okay, we need you to fly to Seattle on Tuesday. And I was like, seriously? And they're like, oh well, yeah, the season's starting this week. So uh, ironically, it's about, I think, I think it was yesterday was the anniversary of when I got hired. Wow. Um, so I ended up actually flying out, I think Wednesday morning, you know, went straight to the ballpark, um, you know, so started basically meeting the team for the first time. Like, Hey, I'm Derek. I'm the new assistant strength coach. Oh, Hey, how's it going? You know, they, um, but then a little opening, surreal, I imagine. Right. Yeah. So we had our opening series and then the team went on the road. Then I flew back to San Diego and packed up all stuff in my car then drove back up to Seattle. And then my wife had to pack up the rest of our place and uh, meet me about a month later. So that's kind of how I got into, into my job now, which that is not your typical career path to get into, you know, a strength conditioning job. Sure, sure. Wow. Yeah, you you have uh, elevated the the growth curve quite rapidly in a whole bunch of different places. Now, you grew up in the Bay Area, mm -hmm. and I, I'm guessing you're probably headed up to Tahoe for a couple of runs up in the snow. I ever snowboard or ski? Only once. Oh, yeah, okay. A long time ago. I was yeah. say, you're in Seattle and you've got some mountains, the cascades all around you. I, I imagine that's kind of heavenly, but, uh, but you, you haven't kind of pursued that that much. No, it's, you know, we, we do hike and stuff, um, cool. but we don't, we don't really do a lot of snowboarding, but we actually had a really, we had a good snowstorm before I left to come here to Arizona and our, our house that we're staying with is uh, on a hill. So we got to take our two little daughters out and get the sleds and just go down the street on this hill. And it was, they had such a great time. It was, it was like the day before I left. So it was perfect timing. Oh, that sounds great. All right. So you brought up uh, a few things just in this early conversation here about uh, strength training and all the, the accessory lifts as well as the primary lifts. So I'm curious, Derek, what's the percentage when you're looking at designing a program for the, for the Mariners uh, how much of it is going to be that the the fundamental foundational lifts that are bilateral, that are sagittal plane bias, that are just all about loading the body for either uh, greater force production or power? Um, so essentially, you know, what we kind of look at is we do a couple different complexes. Um, so we'll group together three to four exercises. Um, and in the first complex is going to be your, your primary lift, which will be your bilateral, like your squat, your deadlift. Um, you know, but even with that being said, some guys don't want to squat and deadlift and that's, that's totally fine. They want to do a, you know, rear foot elevated split squat, or they want to do, you know, even they don't want to load up that much. They want to just do step ups with dumbbells. So, you know, I, I can't really put a percentage because we really do try to individualize guys programs um you know we definitely have gotten away from like here's the program doesn't matter what position you play or whatever like you're doing this program we've gotten away from that a lot it's more about okay you know we do a, a movement screen assessment and we do some force plate readings 
and then we see what is the what is their needs analysis what does it show up that they really need you know and, and plus you know being in a major league strength coach versus a minor league strength coach you're not as much in say player development at the major league level because you know some of these guys have they're in their 30s um you know even though we have a younger roster this year um because guys have, they've already gone through the player development phase so now it's really more about like performance about making sure that they can play every single day and, and be optimal you know to their abilities so it really for us is kind of you know we say we take all our information and we say like you know here's what we see you need and what exercises do you like to do because they're kind of going to tell you what you know works for them you know like i said some guys depend on their their build or their age they may not want to load that much especially yeah. you know getting that bar on their back you know an axial loading then you know it may not be best for them so why are we going to force them to do it because it makes us look better. Like that's, that's not what we're here. You know, we're here to make the athlete perform at their best. And the thing is too, like we play every single day. So if we start loading guys, you know, the way, especially because they don't want to be loaded and they don't have time to recover, like they're going to break down. We hit, play 162 games. Yeah. And I think we have like 24 days off once game one hits to game 162. So, you know, there's not a lot of optimal time for recovery for, you know, pretty much 90% of the roster. So, you know, so what kind of movements do you like? Do you like step-ups? Do you like, you know, um, split squats? Do you like reverse lunges, the barbell, or like safety bars? So, you know, it's, it kind of depends on the player. So it's kind of a long-winded answer, but, you know. So no, no, that that's, that's so yeah. encouraging to hear. It's so refreshing to know that you're, you're basing designs on the individual and not just on some kind of spreadsheet that somebody developed that told you this is how we do it here. So... Mm -hmm. You, you mentioned screening and there's so many movement screens out these days, you know, and in fact, I, I have one that I use that's not like the functional movement screen, which is right. probably the most popular, but then right. you also have like your Gray Institute and your wife's gift fellow. So we've got 3D maps, which is three-dimensional movement assessment performance yep. system. So, so what, what is it that do you have it more like TPI, Titleist Performance Institute for rotational or what do you use? It's kind of a combination of a lot of things. Um, FMS, and we've, you know, we've all been through the TBI course. Um, yep. So we, we made what we call our Mariner's movement screen, which is kind of based on a conglomerate of different movement screens. But definitely you have to take the rotational aspect into your movements because we're, you know, we are probably the, I'll say the most rotational sport, but everything we do, in, you know, from the pitcher to the batter, the main parts of the game is rotational. So looking for those imbalances and kind of seeing where guys, you know, really have, um, things they need to address. So we kind of said do it like a, you know, take some different parts of different movement screens and put it into our movement screen. And then based off that, we'll, we'll do some mobility. We'll do some activation stuff, you know, that leads into their workout or at least leads into their day going into the cage or you know, going out to the field for stretching and throwing. Excellent. And now you also mentioned force plates. So mm -hmm. with an electronic force plate, are you, are you using the force plate just as a kind of a stance, a parallel stance where they're standing there and you're getting where their mass is being managed? Is it more gait analysis, swing analysis? How do you use your force plate? So the main, the main part for us is we do, you know, a counter movement jump test, a squat movement or a squat jump test. And we do some single leg counter movement jump tests. And so we're looking at, um, you know, like EUR, RSIs, um, you know, any kind of asymmetry that kind of pops up. And then again, we can program that into their workout to say like, here's, you know, here's what we're seeing is that, you know, you don't really utilize your stretch force cycle very well. So let's do some more plyometrics 
um, or like, hey, you really favor one side, so we can do some, you know, RNT techniques to kind of get you out of that compensation pattern, or you know, just whatever whatever they kind of really need. So um, that's how we build their actual workout programs is using those things. And luckily, we have people who are you know way smarter than I am that look at that data because you know I, I kind of joke I'm, I'm I'm not old by any means, but you know the you have these kids that come from college these days and like they're exposed to all this new technology that, you know, I'm trying to learn from them um, about how to like you read and interpret it. And then how do we study basketball to our athletes? Yeah, it, it, we are becoming much more technologically, I won't say savvy, but bombarded maybe would yeah. be a better way of describing it to the point where almost there's too much tech at times coming at you and you can't see the forest through the trees. But right. there, I bet there are some nice, uh, whether it's wearable tech or force plate analysis. Uh, are there other things that you guys are harnessing in regards to tech right now? Um, you know, we use um, VBT a bit. So I think that's something that... Um, you know, some guys really like, um, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because talking about how, yeah, you and I are a little bit on the older side, I guess, to put it, you know, nicely, but you're a handsome man. Yes, that's right. <laughs> you as well. But, um, you know, some of the older players, you know, they didn't come up with it. So it's to them, it's something different. So some of them, you know, some of them are interested, some aren't, but the younger players, I think, you know, because they are so they're inundated with technology you're so young that it's like, it's just part of what they do. Um, you know, so, yeah, we're, I think we try to look at ways to, in, you know, use more technology, like, especially on the baseball side, they have a lot more stuff that they use, you know, like there's the K vest and there's, you know, the Rapsodo and, um, you know, now there's different things that look at like biomechanics, like live biomechanic data, I think, you know, in game, you know, looking at swings, looking at pitches. So, you know, hopefully this year we'll get to kind of dive more into that stuff. But um, I mean, it's definitely out there. You know, it's, there's way more stuff out there now. And it's just kind of waiting through, you know, what's the best that you can utilize. And especially like you have to, you know, you have to be able to tell the player why it's beneficial. And that's, I think, some of the hardest part is, you know, with some of this tech, it's like, how do you learn it and then be able to convey it to somebody else? Because if you don't understand it and you can't convey it to them, like they don't want to use it because they don't understand the value. You know, sure, that's, sure. It's hard. Yeah, there's got to be an educational process for both ends, I'm sure. Uh, when you're assessing your players, do you bring into consideration like structural positioning or their posture? Do you do any type of assessment there? Not officially. Um, that's actually something I think for me personally is where, you know, I really want to kind of get into posture and gait, um, you know, but I think it's, it's hard with, so with baseball, you know, we have a, a long season and there's a very short off season and you don't always see your players in the off season. And that's when you would really want to make, you know, say changes, you know, to like a wholesale change to like, see me a, a gate pattern or, you know, postural, because once they get to spring training, they're trying to get their timing down because they have to be, you know, pinpoint accurate is how can they throw that 95 mile or fastball, like in that certain location. And especially as a batter, how can I, you know, get in position to hit that same fastball? So if you start making wholesale changes, you know, to their movement patterns, that can throw their timing off and that doesn't make them optimally be able to perform either. True. So you have to, you know, kind of pick and choose where you go. Like, um, you know, but a big thing that I think has become, at least with our players, which I've taken kind of interest in is like, you know, foot, your foot structure, you know, is looking at like when they, when they walk, like, you know, does their calcaneus evert, does their, you know, 
their arch flatten? Do they, you know, actually get to their forefoot? And what happens up the chain when that happens? Or do they stay in their lateral foot all the time? Because if they're trying to get lateral drive, but they're on their, their back, their lateral side of their back foot, well, they're not getting totally into the ground to get that propulsion forward, you know, to get to, get to their front side to make that, you know, that kind of collision with their front leg to get strong and rotate over it to, you know, hit the ball as hard as they can. So, yeah. so they, like you can do small things with, you know, those like, you know, with feet, you can do small things with tip rotation. Um, and that's what we try to do. We, we work with our athletic training staff too. To, look, they do range of motion testing. And so we can kind of look at some of our movement screens and kind of match it up with their, their range of motion test and see, you know, is it, is it more like they don't have the motion or they just can't control the motion? So then we know how do we, how do we use that in their program too? So, um, you know, you can make some of the small changes like that with, you know, especially like single, um, limbs and joints, like just improving rotation, you know, shoulder, hip, you know, or is it you know, a multi-segment thing where you need to look at the whole body. So going global versus local. So, you know, just kind of using those kind of things. Right on. Well, it makes complete sense. I mean, throwing is basically exaggerated gait mechanics, right? So, right. And, and of course you're dealing with running and you're dealing with a whole bunch of torsion and rotation of the body. It, it makes complete sense. So when you're designing these programs, we, we mentioned like bilateral movements uh, and the accessory kind of lifts are more going to be geared toward unilateral actions like step ups and single leg deadlifts and rear elevated leg for the split squat and so on. But do you, are you okay with having asymmetrical program design, meaning that somebody needs a little bit more power from their right hip, there's something going on there. So I want to load a little bit more into the right versus the left, or is, or do you typically keep it balanced that I want you to do the same volume of work on each side? Because they play every single day, we typically try to keep volume the same on both sides. Now, however, you know, with like say corrective movements, you know, that's, I think we're as opposed to like say loading a side more than the other one, we can do a little bit more mobility and targeted like kind of activation work on one side you know kind of like if a pitcher gets soft tissue work done on his, on his throwing shoulder he doesn't always get done on his non-throwing shoulder so the same thing for us like if we're doing some corrected movements you know with say a, a writer say it's the right hip doesn't get internally rotated and that's their their load side to throw or to hit well obviously i want to strengthen the left side too but i'm not going to do one side more than the other i'm going to do you know both in the same amount of volume um for the most part but said so if it's a corrective I might focus more on my the, that side that I'm trying to, to hit because if I have enough internal rotation on my left side, then I don't need to improve it. I just want to make sure that I have the ability to be symmetrical on both sides. So does that mean that the the volume of correctives and the fine tuning increases as you get deeper into the season, and then you you kind of wean away from all of the heavy lifts that may be taken away from their athletic performance? I mean, is there is there kind of a a schematic there? I wouldn't say that the correctives increase through the course of the season, um, but definitely volume of strength training, you know, will kind of follow that same, like that same shit that you would see where you start with like a higher volume, low intensity, and like that curve kind of comes together at one point in the season. Yeah. Um, you know, but again, because, because we don't have an ideal schedule, like we're not football where they play once a week where you have, you know, a couple days to recover, and it's a short, you know, a shorter season. Like we play every day. You, so you can't really periodize and build out a, like a great progression program for every player because he may only get one day off a week, you know? And so if he's playing every single day, 
then the priority is not going to be how much he's loading in the weight room, especially um, and this is by for the Mariners. Um, we travel more than any team in baseball because we're, you know, up in that Pacific Northwest corner. So, you know, our flights are, you know, the shortest flight we have is the Oakland and San Francisco. Everything else is over three hours. And then you start adding in, you know, this is every baseball team deals with this too, to a certain extent is you're changing time zones. And, you know, so you're coming back from a, a you know, a 10 day road trip where you've hit two time zones, you come back and now you're playing, you know, two night games and a day game. And then you go back on the road again. Well, how is your recovery going to be? Like, who cares how much you're loading, you know? Right. Um, so I think the only people we can really try to have a, a really like kind of a, a program with is the starting pitchers, because at least they know they're going to, they're only going to play every so many days, you know, every fifth or sixth day, like they know for sure when their performance is going to be. So between that, they can have, you know, here's this, this is a rest day. This is a, you know, may a lower body day. This is an upper body day. This is another rest day. So they can kind of program between starts. Everybody else is, you know, they're going, um, you know, and so they, this might be like say one day up a week, but a reliever might pitch three days in a row. And, you know, he's coming into not ideal situations. He's coming with runners on base. So his CNS is super heightened because, you know, he's coming to this very high stressful situation. And if he gets out of it, I mean, his, he's like skyrocketing, like activation, you know, CNS, like fight or flight. So, you know, then you have to get him deactivated because you know, tomorrow he might come back into that same elevated response. So if your CNS is always on and you never actually like deregulate, well, you're also not going to get great quality work, you know, in the weight room because we're trying to keep you almost, you know, down when you're not supposed to be performing. You know, so you're so how, do you, how do you kick in that parasympathetic response that for the ANS or, or that it just lowers them back down into the zone, perhaps, and they're not so sympathetic in that fight or flight? What, what are some of the techniques or, or are there drills or movements, exercises that you guys do? Um, one thing that we've talked with some of our guys about is, you know, just breathing, like, you know, how to, how to, to upregulate or downregulate using your breathing patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have some mental skills coaches too, that, you know, they, they can talk guys through stuff and everyone's different. You know, these, I think it's just trying to, you know, talk players through ways to help them find what works best for them. Um, but, you know, there's, I think breathing has come kind of into the foray, like in the past couple of years too. Um, you know, I took a course through strong first it was a breathing course and it talked about, you know, for the, some athletes, like they would, you know, downregulate up until the point where they had to go on the platform to compete. So they would upregulate using their breathing patterns. And once they go off the platform that they, de- they downregulate again, this might happen multiple times in a day, you know, so it's just, um, trying to use that with some of our players, like, especially instead of coming into, you know, if you're a pitcher, who's going to pitch multiple innings. You know, if you have a really exciting inning and you're just really, really high coming into the dugout, well, how can we get you to downregulate, you know, and to calm yourself down because you have to go back out again and you don't want to be too heightened. Like some guys will, can work that way, but other, some guys can't, um, you know, and so even, even in innings, like if you have a really long inning, like say your offense is just raking the opposing pitcher and you're scoring, you know, score five runs. That might be a 30 minutes where your pitcher is sitting in the dugout. So how do you upregulate again to go out and perform? Because you might, if you're just so downregulated and so calm because you've been sitting around for 30 minutes, how do you go back out and perform? So if you can use the breathing pattern to kind of upregulate again to go back out, and hopefully you're, you know, you're back on that level where you need to be, 
and then you can go perform and you know do that said multiple times right on yeah i wasn't sure if it was like not sensory depri deprivation but so much as suppression like putting uh earmuffs on and putting blinders on so to speak and just reducing the sensory input through auditory and and visual cues and mm -hmm. and trying to kind of regulate down but mainly breathing is is what you harness well it's i mean it's I wouldn't say mainly, but that's something that we've, we've definitely like kind of talked about the past year or so, um, you know, cause it's just hard. Like you're in the dugout, you're watching the game. I mean, there's times where I, I don't play, I, I'm in the dugout and I'm watching the game and I get excited yeah. and you know, I go home and it's like, oh man, I'm, you know, it's such a great game. Like I don't want to go to sleep either. So, you know, I guess the, the bigger part too is like, just again, because it's, you have to come back the next day and play is how do you downregulate when you leave the ballpark so you can actually go get quality sleep. You know, so, um, you know, that's where it's like, some guys meditate, some guys, you know, I mean, they have these different methods that work for them and sure. you just kind of talk with them about it. And then if, you know, you have somebody else who's having issues, then, oh, well, you know, have you tried this? Cause this is what someone else uses. So, but the mental skills is big too, because we have actually people who are like, that's their primary role and they're way more educated about it than we are. Well, you bring up, uh, sleep a couple times now and there's there's three of the top things with athletes that that need to be uh, aligned and that's hydration mm -hmm. fueling and sleep right so right. for for optimal performance you must monitor their sleep and then i want to talk about mental skills coaching too but uh, or do you monitor their sleep do, do you put one of the kind of one of the techs on and have them go to sleep and monitor it or are they just telling you how they slept the, the last night you know a lot of our guys are actually really into that stuff and they they kind of self-monitor with they have their own devices they use um and if you start talking to about it i mean they'll they'll tell you all the information you know they'll talk about like um you know oh, my resting heart it was this and my hrv has been this and um they notice you know the, the cool thing is they start noticing trends of things that they can do proactively going into sleep that you know when they wake up they can look at their sleep score and see oh wow you know like that that really worked or you know, something that they did, it's like, oh, I didn't sleep very well last night. So maybe I shouldn't do that again. Um, you know, so they, I think they kind of do it themselves and, you know, but it's, it's still, it's still a challenge. Like I said, we're, you know, going on flights to change time zones and we have night games to day games that go right into flights. So it's always a constant battle, but you just try to educate them the best they can. And so a lot of our guys, are, I think are pretty good about it. Yeah. Now, do you happen to use resting heart rate as one of your barometers for workout intensity? Um, not typically, I mean, okay. you know, cause the players kind of, if they want to, you know, use a device to share some data with you, they can, but some of the guys said they, you know, it's, it's not part of their program. Gotcha. Um, so it, it can be used, but we don't use it with everybody. So mental skills coach. Yeah. I, I know you dabble into that, but you've got staff that do it too. How do you guys coordinate and what is it that what's involved with the mental skills coaching? Oh, I mean, it's, it's more like this kind of a, I guess, an outlet almost for the player to use, um, you know, because there's so much going on. I mean, these are human beings to, at the end of the day, like we're all human beings. We all have personal lives. We have families, you know, we have things going on off the field. So I think, you know, we try to have an outlet for them to separate, you know, player from husband or you know, father or, you know, whatever. So just having someone to, you know, kind of help them do that, it, it can be tough at times, but, you know, the, someone has, their sole job is 
just mental skills and to have them work through like maybe it's even this routine making give them a routine to go through every day to lead into the game which you know kind of starts checking boxes where like now i'm mentally like tuned in so i don't just show up and i you know kind of wander over here and then i you know wander over here oh now it's game time and i'm like scrambling to get all my stuff together so now i could go in the field and like you know talk about like you know auto regulation it's like if i'm if i'm scrambling around i'm probably in a slightly out like butter flight but if you have someone that can help guide them you know here's a routine that you can do every single day so when you show up to the ballpark first thing you do is is x second thing you do is you know y and that leads the routine in so it, it goes into you know onto a practice you come off the field now you have that routine that leads into the game so now like if you do it every single day it's you know i'm ready and i know i know where i will be at when i step onto the field to play it's interesting you what you're really saying is awareness. I mean, I was thinking visualization drills and so on, but really just bringing an awareness, right? And and that carries over into whether the weight room, the playing field in real world time. Uh, so coaching people to to bring some awareness into their body so that they're not going all over the place and yeah. uh, not being in the zone. But with yeah. that said, I mean, like you brought up, like there is, I think, a place for visualization. And it really just depends on what does the player need to make them perform the best. Like some guys will be really visual. Some guys will be more like said they like to meditate. So it's really, I think the mental skills um, position like just kind of helps them figure out what works best for them. You know, and that's, it's something that, you know, if, if you're a strength coach in a different setting, you know, like you might do that too. Like you kind of wear a lot of hats when you're in, you know, strength coaching and athletic training. Sure. But having someone who's that their that's their job and that's their expertise makes it so much easier, you know, to focus and to help the player find what they need to do. Hey, with athletic training, now you have a team a head athletic trainer, correct? Correct. And so you being an athletic trainer as well as a performance specialist, strength coach, which that those terms are are now kind of flipping around, becoming inverted, as you tell me. Uh, what's what's the relationship that you have with the athletic trainer in regards to your role and, and his or her role? Um, you know, I think I've always in all of my jobs I've had, I've always had a really good relationship with athletic trainers, which maybe because I'm, I am one, so we kind of speak the same language. Because I know, you know, some places it's not always like that. It can be a little contentious, where it's like. You know, oh, they're not letting these guys work out because they're hurt. And it's like, oh, these guys just want to make them work out all the time. But, you know, I think because I have this, the same language of speak with them, like we kind of meet in the middle. So it's like they say, well, here's their injury. Here's what they can't do. And so then, you know, for me, as my kind of like strength coach had, I'm like, well, what can they do? You know, what, what can they do to, to help them get better as opposed to what they can't do? So when they come in the weight room, I can make a plan and say, okay, they, they have this restriction, but they can do this because ultimately to rehab you need to stress some tissues to get them back you know because if, if they haven't stressed any tissues before going back into play there's a likelihood they're going to get hurt again um but so we have just really good dialogue you know and i think it just it's something so, so my role with the mariners is you know for as the assistant is they wanted someone in cscs natc so it was by design because i do work with the the rehab players you know before they kind of come back to play so it just really makes it easier, you know, speaking to our athletic trainers and our physical therapists, you know, about kind of making the plan, um, you know, transitioning from just being in the rehab in the athletic training room to getting into the weight room to, you know, complement that and then getting them back on the field of play. And now speaking of field of play, last year was all over the place. You didn't have 162 games. You had what? Uh, 60. 60. Yeah. 60. 
Now talk about mental adjustments there, but what was just a quick little kind of story about COVID of uh, 2020. What was that like for you guys in the season? Um, I mean, it was wild, you know, said a year ago, I think I was driving home to Washington because we got sent home, you know, so it was, it was weird. And so then there was, you know, a few months where we didn't know what was going to happen. You know, I think we didn't start till July. So it was like May, you know, April, May, June was hanging out, you know, like we were keeping contact with our staff and our players, but you know, I was basically kind of being daddy daycare at home, you know, when we should have been playing games. Yeah. um, You know, when we started up, we kind of talked about it as a staff and talked to our players like this is, the season is going to be a sprint. It wouldn't, you know, it was like a third of what we would normally play. So, you know, some things will be different as far as how we approached it. But, you know, depending on what players had at their disposal during the quarantine, you know, some guys were in states that allowed them to go to gyms or they had a gym at their house. Some people didn't have anything. They you know, were living with their parents, you know, depending what level they were at. Like, so we, you know, do they have dumbbells? Do they have bands? What can we do to help them, you know, kind of stay in shape? So once we showed up, it was, you know, we had three weeks kind of, we called like a summer camp, which was like a really shortened version of like a spring training. And then we started playing games. And I mean, it was just, it was really a sprint. It was over before we knew it, you know, just 60 games is, can go by really fast. Well, let's hope you don't have to repeat that anytime soon. Cause it sounds like we've got a full season ahead of us, right? 162 games are on your docket. That's correct. Yep. Oh man. All right. Well, I, you know, how did, how is it just growing up in in the Bay Area and then being one of the Mariners there? I, I you say you're kind of the A's fan, Giants fan. I'm not sure where your affiliation lies, but uh, that is there any issues there? Do you guys give you any ribbing for that? Oh no, I mean when I grew up, I was a you know I was an A's and Giants fan. I had different parts of my family were different, and I was also a Raiders Niners fan, which apparently is you know sacrilegious in the Bay Area, but you know whatever. Yeah. Um, but you know, once I got my first job in the baseball, I, you know, I worked for the Padres. So growing up a Giants fan, I went to you know Petco Park and had brewed for the Giants against them all the time. But once you start getting to know the players and you're getting ingrained in the culture, I mean, I don't even pay attention to what other teams are doing. You know, like if I talk to my family, they talk about, oh yeah, the you know the A's did this or Giants did this, and like, yeah, well, I have no idea because I'm focusing on what we're doing. You know, what the Mariners are doing. So, um, no, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. I mean, I, I visited Washington growing up. My grandpa grew up south of Seattle in Olympia. And so I'd come in and, you know, obviously they had Ken Griffey. Like, who didn't like Ken Griffey? You know, oh, who yeah. didn't like, you know, Jay Buhner and Edgar Martinez? I mean, so it was never like, oh, this, you know, rivalry team. Um, but, yeah, once I got in to start to know the players, I mean, you used to come and in, into their, their culture and, like, I am a Mariner, you know, so it's not a big deal at all. Yeah, and it's quite a town up there. You guys got a, a lot of sports fans up there for all your sports, mm-hmm. so must be a fun time to be there. And, yeah. well, I, I just – I know we're coming up on the time here, so I'm just going to wish you a great season ahead of you and hope that all of those games get played and with with a couple rainouts here or there. Of course, you're in Seattle, so you're going to have a couple rain delays, but uh, hopefully you'll get at least most of the games under your belt compared to what you did last year. And uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And just, we do have a retractable roof in Seattle. So if it rains, ah. we can still play on time. Thankfully, That's true. nobody likes rain delays. <laughs> <laughs> 
And that's it for another episode of the Zealous Podcast. I want to thank Derek Cantini for coming on. And make sure you tune in next week when we have another top pro in the world of professional sports. In the meantime, go ahead and follow us on Instagram if you haven't done so yet, Rocky underscore Snyder. And make sure you subscribe to the channel so you don't miss another episode. We'll see you next week.